Blog Talk Radio. Do you have mother wounds? Do you know anyone who has mother wounds? Um, are you a mother and, you know, have you maybe perhaps inflicted some on your own children? I know as a mother, I when I hear the word mother wounds, I, that's immediately where my mind goes. Uh, with Mother's Day coming up, we are going to be talking about mothers today. We're going to be talking about memories of our own mothers. And I'm happy to welcome Fred, Dr. Fred Boley, as my co-host to the Tangled Mess. Hello, Hi, Fred. Glad you're here. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yes, and also welcome to those who are listening, whether live or in the future. Um, Mother's Day is coming up this Sunday. And uh, so I always find that as different holidays are approaching, I'm kind of thinking about, as a counselor, uh, what might my clients be going through Mm -hmm. in regard to an upcoming holiday? That's an excellent thought, and I would uh, remind everyone who is listening that you're most welcome to call in and share your thoughts, uh, maybe your memories of your mom or your own concerns about uh, what we are talking about with mother wounds and the the positive side of motherhood as well. But you can mm-hmm. call us at 515-602-9655. That number again is 515 602 Thank you, Fred. And yes, I hope you call in. Um, I was just thinking, as you said that, is there a positive of mother wound? That is an excellent question. (laughs) (laughs) Probably much of the world's art would not exist today if it weren't for mother wounds. Well, and, you know, I was even thinking like mother, you know, like mother blessing or mother, like mother, I don't know, like gift, mother, you know, something that's like the, a term that's a mirror of, mirror opposite of mother wound. Yes. In fact, the more real thing is the positive side of things, right? Mm-hmm. Any sort of problem you ever have is just a lack of something. And so um, right. all of us are human. So uh, we were talking just before the show about father wounds. Have I experienced father wounds or inflicted father wounds? Yes, and also no. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All of us have who have been fathers and mothers, right, mm-hmm. and or mothers, um, because it's the nature of being fallen humans. But the more real thing um, is the positive side of things, you know, mm-hmm. what our mothers have given to us and continue to Absolutely. give to us. Absolutely. You know, it's and we know the loss by the good, by the absence of the good. Yes. So um, in, in thinking about what mothers bring in the, the goodness and the wholeness and the beauty of motherhood, um, the impact of that is profound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the gift of just the, the nurture that mothers provide. On a very basic level. I was um, thinking about it. And um, from the moment you're conceived, you get information from your father 
but you mm-hmm. get your body from your mother. You know, you really do. Hmm. Like the contents of the of you when you are only mm-hmm. a fertilized ovum are ovum mm-hmm. information, right? Mm-hmm. You get the DNA information from your father's side, but that's it. Everything mm-hmm. else is your mom, and um, she feeds you from that moment until you are born, right? And then continues and to feed you until you can eat solids or drink yeah. from a bottle. So that that continues in that um and and that very aspect of just becoming human mm-hmm. is all about connection and bonding. Right. So it's not just the physical food that you are given, but also the nurture, the emotional feeding. Right. And the uh the love that is communicated in that process. Mhm. So um and I'm not making a, an argument here for nursing or bottle feeding. Call in with your criticisms and uh, controversies, because Deb's about to make a, an endorsement. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Deb. No, uh, but but the nurture and the bonding is is absolutely crucial to our development of trust and the ability to attach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we see that most primarily in those early years, the zero to three to the zero to five, when um, our attachment style is formed for better or for worse. Yeah. So, not deterministically, but it definitely makes an impact. So what is the, what is an attachment style? Most people probably wouldn't have heard of that. You know, it's kind of fascinating. I find that my clients are more familiar with terms than I expect at times. Really? Yeah. What, like what they, percentage of people would you think um, are familiar with attachment styles these days? I would say at least 30 to 40% of my clients come in knowing what attachment styles are. Um, primarily women, which kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the men usually don't know about attachment styles. Um, but the women have usually done some kind of therapeutic research, study, there's some kind of curiosity about the nature of human relationships, and so they, they kind of stumble across attachment styles at some point. So do you think that's an accident? I mean, to say um, it's cultural, right? But I think it's more than cultural, because I think women really are more interested in uh, these emotional um, and relational kind of issues, and that's part of the reason why women are better at it, and why Women are mothers, right? I mean, it's all part of being a mother is that you have a natural interest mm-hmm. in that very process, whereas men definitely need that and are interested in it to a certain extent, but we are more instrumentally minded, right? We want to get out there and fight something or right. dig something or hit it with a stick or something. <laughs> Take a, yeah, hit a ball with a stick. <laughs> Theoretically. Uh-huh. Yes. So the... um. Yeah, because when you think about it, just on a very practical level, a child is part of the mother, literally, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. And so there's that intrinsic natural connection. Um, you know, it's funny thinking back to childhood and, and thinking of memories of mom. Um, that was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a little longer for you, Fred. Oh, I don't think so. 
Um, uh, <laughs> rumors of my <laughs> approaching 100th birthday are greatly exaggerated. Mm. Um, <laughs> I was going to say one more interesting fact, since mm-hmm. I know um, all women love the trivia, right? Um, your mitochondrial DNA. Are you familiar with mitochondrial DNA? This is a little uh, kind of, uh, they're not quite organisms, but they're the, they're, they're the next thing to an organism. And where you get it from is only from your mom because they're in that very first cell you have from the moment of your conception. Mitochondrial DNA that you have are directly reproduced from that first cell that you have and that you are when you are a only a fertilized ovum, right? So we get our mitochondrial DNA from our mother, and that's the only way that we can make use of nutrients, hmm. right? So even on a really basic biochemical level, mm-hmm. our mothers feed us from the very first moment. Hmm. And if your mom is anything like my mom, she will be feeding you even when you're mm. 70 and she's 95. Yeah. You know, my mom is infamous for pushing leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> right. She she always has. I hope she listens to this episode. Um, <laughs> she always has something saran wrapped in the fridge. You know, yep. like something that she saves for you, and therefore you are obligated to eat it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My mom can make a delicious meal out of leftover bay leaves. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> a few random. Beef bones and I don't know what, but anyway. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Both of our mothers are Protestant, and both of them were, like, active in serving the church. Ministry, yeah. Yeah. So, you so know, there, the used rest- to be a, there used to be an insult mm-hmm. that you would say to someone, your mom wears combat boots. Well, my mother literally wore combat boots because <laughs> she was a missionary. <laughs> wow. My first memories are of being in uh, southern Mexico, which is very mm-hmm. jungly, very wet and muddy and, and uh, rainforesty. And my mother was wearing combat boots, you know, in my earliest <laughs> memories. But I also remember uh, my fourth birthday, my mother uh, in the out in the middle of nowhere, had only an iron skillet to cook in, but she managed to make me a chocolate cake, with chocolate uh, frosting. It was so good. I can remember it to this day. Wow. That is precious <laughs> and very impressive. Very, very impressive. <laughs> yeah. One of my first memories with my mother um, also involves a birthday. I oh, was, yeah. I think I was a little younger than you probably, maybe three. Um, I was standing on a chair Helping mm-hmm. her stir the batter for the cake. And at the same time, my grandmother and grandfather arrived, and they had driven from Chicago to Philadelphia to um, to for, for my birthday and to see us all. And um, mm-hmm. so I was told to not touch the batter while my mom went <laughs> to help them bring things in. Right. And I had a brilliant idea. <laughs> Of just stirring it a little bit. And of course, I ended up wearing the entire bowl. <laughs> right. 
and just being, you know, like so sad and disappointed that taken. Um, and I like I just I remember the story more so as in like the but I I remember in the context of me thinking, well, I'll just do one stir. Right. <laughs> you know, um so that is a, a funny birthday memory. And I'm sure the cake was made and things turned out fine. But um I think there's actually a picture of me crying, like all all upset. But um, another another really fun memory that I have is um, we would take those trips out to Chicago because her family was out there, and mm-hmm. um, we would take these trips twice a year. And uh, she loved to drive the quiet the quiet midnight to like five a.m. Wow! And so it was the days before Garmin, the days before GPS. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there in the front seat with her while everybody else slept and navigate and so she and I would stay up all night and talk and listen to music and it was just a special time to kind of hang out yeah what kind of music did you listen to oh I'm sure it was classical because at that time I wasn't allowed to listen to Baptist (laughs) (laughs) so I have no doubt it was not uh, it was probably a cassette and it could have been like the Bob Jones Chorale you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Or the uh, what was that one? The Bill Gaither Trio. Did you listen to the Bill Gaither Trio? My grandmother loved them. <laughs> loved them, but uh, <clears throat> my dad's mom. But uh, my mom was is a classical musician, so we listened to a little bit more of the like the less kind of folky country stuff. Yeah. More, more of the refined choral music. <laughs> that's really cool we uh my mom and dad had to do a lot of deputation in other words mm-hmm. going around to various churches and talking about uh, their work and trying to raise support so uh i, I have memories of that too um mm-hmm. riding through the night uh, we used to sing a lot you know my mom and dad were great singers of hymns and mm-hmm. um, the old 70s praise songs that sort of thing mm-hmm so I remember very well singing along as I stood up. Of course, in those days, we never wore seat belts. We would climb back wonderful. and forth. <laughs> and yeah, if you didn't get in a wreck, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lay on the floor, lay on the seat, crawl on the way lay back. Lay on the seat, yep, absolutely. And I would stand up and sing, <clears throat> holding on to the back of the bench seat. Hmm. And uh, my father tried to teach me to sing harmony with him. And uh, hmm. said it was great. To, it was great. It was just kind of a different experience having soprano stung really loud in his ear. <laughs> Boy soprano. Boy soprano. It's uh, a great sound. Oh, anyway, great memories. They are. They're very special. Uh, not everybody has great memories, and sometimes people have more difficult memories than they have good memories. Sure. Um, you know, uh, over the years, a couple of people that I've worked with come to mind where there have been mothers that have been overtly abusive, mm-hmm. you know, verbally, physically, um, you know, allowing things to happen that were very, very harmful to clients mm-hmm. um, that really affected their ability to care for themselves well in adulthood. Mm-hmm. Give an example of that, if you would. So, um, 
somebody uh, who has had a mother who, rather than believing in them, encouraging, supporting, um, mm-hmm. really building up, yeah. but instead tearing down, um, mm-hmm. the effect is crippling. Right. Emotionally crippling. Emotionally crippling. Crippling. Um, it's also it can also be crippling intellectually because it creates so many like trauma blocks in the brain that it's mm-hmm. difficult to concentrate and think. Hard to think um, well. Yeah, it's hard to think well. Um, everything is confusing and difficult to figure out. Mm-hmm. Relationship. So, what are you? Um, yeah, go on. Go I was just going to ask about that. What are you unable to do emotionally? So, if we say emotionally crippled, you're you're not able to do certain things, but like what? Uh, regulate. Okay. You know, um, especially um, with really strong emotions like deep sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, because the the tragedy in that is that there's such a, a, a an intrinsic desire within us for our mother's mm-hmm. love that even when it's not provided and the opposite has been given, the desire for that love is still present. Right. And so it's as a constant reminder that sends that often creates the belief that I'm just not worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And so as clients take a belief like that into adulthood, the relationships they get into reflect that belief. Right. So um, if you really don't believe that you're worthy of love, then what sorts of things do you do? What does that look like? It looks like not caring for yourself, respecting safety, just basic Mm -hmm. safety. Um, Often, you know, risky sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, Excessive drinking and putting oneself in harm because of inebriation or drunkenness. Mm-hmm. Um, not being able the, to, uh, one other thing I think that's really important before you you uh, um, go ahead. So rudely um, interrupt. <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, the relational factor is that a child who grows up with a mother they can't trust is they don't know what it is to trust, and so they don't know what it is to feel safe. Right. And so they naturally gravitate towards people who aren't safe. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself getting into one bad relationship after another. Mm-hmm. What is it about me? Why? Mm-hmm. Why do I attract this? Why is it always mm-hmm. these guys or these types of guys? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I was just going to ask about like the doormat syndrome. Like why... Am I nice and other people are not nice to me? Is that sort mm-hmm. of part of that as well? I suppose it can be. Yeah, it can be. Absolutely. I'll, I'll grant you that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, it can be. Uh, yeah. And why is that? What What is removed when a mother is doesn't allow a child agency? Doesn't allow a child. Did you say agency? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by agency? 
I mean the ability to choose. Right. So it makes all the choices for them or um, uh, uh, how else might Yeah, it makes all the choices for them, demands that they do things mm-hmm. a particular way all of the time and, and punishes cruelly if that isn't the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kid then doesn't have, uh, or the grown-up version of the mm-hmm. kid is mm-hmm. not able to make choices for themselves or doesn't have confidence? Is that Right, mm-hmm. right. And you said kid, but when you think about it, we're all big kids. Yes. You know, for sure. we, we carry we carry so we carry those key components of our story with us um, to the very present moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the point where I still introduce myself as the oldest of five. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, call in if you have things to share about your experience of motherhood, being a mother or having a mother. The number is 515-602-9655. Again, it's 515-602-9655. We'd like to hear what you have to say. So, Deb, your experience Mm -hmm. of having a mother, did that influence your experience of being a mother? Uh, my goodness. That's a very deep question. That's a very limited, shallow little question. Uh, that's a very deep question. Um, you know, I saw my mother do things very, very well. Mm-hmm. And appear to do them relatively easily. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? It was back in the day where, you know, like women wore like almost like church clothes every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, every day, not every, oh, Sunday, every, day. every day, you know, like, like very, very proper stockings, mm-hmm. you know, dress shoes, yeah. hair, makeup every day. Um, so just kind of like looking like everything was together. Right. Not that she necessarily felt like everything was together, but it, you know, as a kid, it definitely that appeared. That was the impression. Mm-hmm. So, so she didn't I, wear combat boots. <laughs> no, she did not. No, she was a she. She is. She still. She loves horses. She's a, a wonderful. Really. Yeah, equestrian. Mm-hmm. She grew up riding horses. And Interesting. Very comfortable in the saddle. Um, and actually, she's a great swimmer. It's something that I never got. That I'm, I'm still a little jealous of. <laughs> <laughs> but she did pass the legacy of of piano. And um, mm-hmm. it was part of her, her instruction that I actually became a musician. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things that I learned about motherhood was how to pass things on. All right. So in what sense? Because I was just going to say to you that uh, one of the things that occupies my mind is that sometimes you have the feeling as a counselor that you can just tell people, just do A, B, and C. But what you don't see is the A has a, like a hundred different requirements before it can come to fruition, right? Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's a world of things that you pick up and you're not even conscious of, the things that you do with mm-hmm. your kids to kind of help them be ready to hear you mm-hmm. when you say, to receive this. don't yes. touch that or whatever. Do your homework. And what's the homework. foundation behind that ABC? You asking or are you like making a rhetorical question? Both. 
Well, I mean, okay, I could talk a little bit, but I, I want to hear what you say. But one of the really big foundations is predictability, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can you run your household stability mm-hmm. so that, right. you know, supper is always about the same time. There's always something for mm-hmm. supper. You know, you always go to bed about the same time. You always get up about mm-hmm. the same time. Always go to work. Mm-hmm. Kids are always picked up. They always have clothes that are clean and, you know, in decent condition. Mm-hmm. All those things are um, like big challenges. I mean, if you're in a really poverty-stricken situation mm-hmm. or a generation of poverty, it's a new thing, and you have to add all these new habits before you can ever get to do your homework, right? Yeah, if you're in generational poverty and you're a single mom mm-hmm. and you're working and you're exhausted and you have children who you're trying to keep alive, yeah. I mean, do the homework is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible, impossible, but it's almost, it feels overwhelming. It feels huge because yeah, the others aren't in place. Um, so yeah. it's... Uh, and we have more single moms than ever, mm-hmm. you know, that are carrying both the burden of providing and nurturing and growing human beings. But it's a good thing we brought in all that uh, contraception, isn't it? Because, wow, we really solved that problem. And being sarcastic, Debbie, you probably don't recognize that. That was sarcasm. That was <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to have like no more trouble with single moms, you know, hmm. uh, because we were bringing in contraception. But what we really did was we ruined the meaning of sex mm-hmm. and we just made it more likely thereby um, that more women would be in that really unfortunate and difficult mm-hmm. circumstance. And Very vulnerable kids. position. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, single so, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how people do it, honestly. Yeah, it is very difficult. Um, you know, uh, you think of young widows, mm-hmm. you know, who lose both father, husband, provider all at once. Right. And then all of a sudden have that responsibility. Yeah. It's a terrible burden. But I would also say, I was thinking today, you know, I was driving along, that um, there was an issue in the really early church that um, we want to take care of the widows and the orphans, right? Mm -hmm. But only the real widows, not these who are like young gallivants who are Mm -hmm. getting... Mm -hmm. But I think um, nowadays we probably need to consider um, women who do have a, a really... You know, respectable lifestyle, you mm-hmm. really are um, seeking after the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet, their husband or their ex-husband, their boyfriend, whatever he was at the time, is far away. We don't know where he is, right? Mm-hmm. And now this woman has three kids she's trying to look after. Mm-hmm. She really should be considered in that category of a true widow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more about um, what you're doing now than about, you know, the fact that your husband is, a, or your boyfriend, or whatever he was, is alive mm-hmm. or dead. So is that is that a demographic you help with um, the, the Barnabas ministry? Well, we have only gotten started with the uh, Saint Barnabas Reconciliation Ministries, you know. But it is something that I would like to build towards, you know, because mm-hmm. what we're trying to do 
is um, help families reconcile, keep families together to the extent possible. And I think that when we advocate for things here or in our work, you know, advocate for things like people sticking together and mm-hmm. and the, the natural parents of the family, that's the ideal, but we're not really looking to blame anyone for the situation they're in. You know, I don't think it does any good for us to, to blame people for where they are. Mm-hmm. The short answer is yes. We want to help. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's yeah. so important right? To, to support mothers in the work that they do. Even if uh, you are lucky enough to be a stay-at-home mother, mm-hmm. then you need a lot of support for that because it's really mm-hmm. exhausting. <laughs> I it tried really is. a few days. To be a stay-at-home home mother? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the stay-at-home part was the tricky bit. No, just kidding. Mm-hmm. But I always uh, say you have to bend over, you know, you have to bend double, and then you have to run as fast as you can. Try that for a couple of hours and see how you do. But also it's like being stuck in, in first or second gear, right? Mm-hmm. First gear with a little toddler. You know, you love this so cute that you love this little kid to bits. But pretty soon your mind starts screaming, you know, I just want to have a conversation with someone who can understand a complex clause, you know. It's just like <laughs> it really is a difficult job to do. Well, you know, you know um, Mothers invent we we invent strategies to make sure that those mm-hmm. needs are met. Uh, well, you know, when my kids were young, um, I had playdates with friends whose conversation I valued and respected. Um, there was a in the Protestant church. There's a program called MOPS, um, Mothers of Preschoolers, yeah. and um, and there's something that Kathleen Beckman recently started that's for Catholic mothers. Uh, that's something similar. Mm-hmm. For mothers of young children, and um, and so you know those programs provide some of that relational support. That you know I'm not only a mother; I'm a human being. I'm a woman. I need adult conversation and support, um, and friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, friendship with other women. Um, so I, I definitely made ways to to find that um, when my kids were younger, and then homeschooling the homeschool network is a fantastic way to to find that support and build friendships and relationships. So it's uh it's not really even stay at home as much as it is networking and raising children. So Deb, let me ask you a question. Uh oh. Maybe you can look at your life and see that I'm <laughs> sorry. This is a serious question. I just get is to, it yours or do, is it a caller? <laughs> no, it's mine. It's mine. Okay. Um, uh, you notice that maybe you have some mother wounds, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, according to my list here, you are innerly critical, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're your own worst critic. Um, you're, you worry what other people are going to say about you, right? Your fear mm-hmm. of judgment. Maybe your confidence is it what, what it could be, or you have mm-hmm. trouble with boundaries, all that stuff. Yeah. So how do you go about repairing that? I mean, what is hmm. the what is the approach? It's a great question. How do you help people who are who see you start repairing those mother wounds? Well, I find as a female counselor mm-hmm. that in some ways I image a mother to my clients. Cool. 
And so I'm able to meet them and tell them, you are worthy of being loved. Mm-hmm. You are lovable. Not only that, you are loved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we and then we 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 often talk about the inner critic because the the inner critic that develops isn't always a mother's voice. Right. You know, we we all have a part that's like trying to get us to shape up. You know, come on, mm-hmm. don't screw this up again. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Um. So, recognizing that we need to be compassionate with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because we are made by love for love. We're made by God Himself. Um, to be loved and to be able to give love. And, you know, being in a place of constant criticism or fear of failure or disappointment or rejection um, puts us in a place where we're we're not in a, like a spirit kind of mindset, but we're living in fear. Mm-hmm. So we're we're not in a place where we can actively, like, be recipients of all the goods. Right. So, so uh, that reminds me of that famous Bible verse. If I could just interrupt for one second. So Perfect love casts cast out fear. <laughs> mm. So, so uh, is that relevant? How does that work? That's, a, that's another great question. Um, well, you know, you know, I don't know about you. Do you remind your clients that no mother is perfect? No. <laughs> yeah, I you do. Know? Okay. Sometimes I I do find it helpful because when I do marriage counseling, it's it's kind of like the expectation is my spouse is going to meet all of the needs that I have that I've had my whole life, and you know I hate their guts because they're not meeting all of those needs. Right. <laughs> so, you know that's a very very basic summary, but um, but there's a lot of hurt there. Like why aren't they meeting those needs? But we often have this expectation of parents as well that. They're going to meet all of our needs, and they're going to meet all of those needs perfectly. Right. And then resentment and anger because not all of that was met. And so um, I find that, you know, when you say perfect love casts out fear, that as we look at our own stories and at the ways that our parents blessed us and at the ways they failed us, that Mm -hmm. we can both love them and forgive them and recognize that they weren't coming to us from a place of wholeness themselves entirely either. Right. And we as parents are not going to offer perfect love to our children. You know? For sure. That's for sure. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, at some point I'm sure I'm going to be like, okay, kids, I will pay for your therapy. <laughs> Right. (laughs) (laughs) I caused it. Go ahead. Blame it on me. Um, But, yeah, so perfect love casts out fear. And we don't get perfect love from each other. Mm -hmm. So when you hear that particular verse, whose love comes to mind? Well, the love of God, I think, is the most obvious thing. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also think, uh, you know, parents' love is probably the, the warmest love that 
or at least the first warm love that you experience, right? Mm-hmm. So when you are small and you're and you're snatched up and cuddled into your mother, then you stop being afraid. Mm-hmm. But if you're afraid, especially as you think about it as an as an adult. If you're afraid, it's very hard to give love, but it's also hard to accept love, you know, because to accept love, you have to be vulnerable. If you open yourself up and the person really sees who you are, then they can reject you and they can judge you. Mm. So mm. we're all so afraid at some levels that we we hide who we really are and therefore we're not available to love. But if we open ourselves to love, then the fear goes away. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, you know, open yourself to to the love of any crazy nutcase mm-hmm. who asks you on a date, that sort of thing. But I'm I'm talking about God there. Mm-hmm. And to various degrees that people deserve that trust, also to other people. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just blindly trust people, but if you give people the trust that they deserve, mm-hmm. you open up to those various degrees, then you will become less afraid as part of that process. You bring up a very good point. And that is that trust has to be earned. Right. And it is earned when a mother, as you said, takes the child and comforts the child. Mm-hmm. You know, um, rocks them to sleep, dries the tears, soothes. You know, that trust is earned time and time again. When mm-hmm. uh, it's not earned, but it's demanded. Right then that's actually a violation. Yes. So your soul, you know, you haven't invited someone into your soul, you've been invaded. Mm-hmm. Right. And what does that teach a child? How does that affect a child's development and perception of themselves and their own boundaries? Yeah, I really want to know, Deb. Put me out of my misery here. You're really asking me? You want me to say? <laughs> well, I will say this. I, I will start out, and then you can give the perfect answer after I've started to blab a little, which is if you uh, have that um, process with a kid, in other words, you force the kid to accept whatever it is that you're offering, whether um, it's a coercion, you know, a punishment, harsh punishment, or um oversharing right or over closeness enmeshment mm-hmm. then i think that the kid will look at life as a series of um kill or be killed encounters right so everything becomes about power rather than about love so love is about invitation and accepting invitation power is about co- coercing people to do what you want them to do yeah demanding and enforcing yes demanding mm-hmm. and enforcing yeah. So it's not safe to really open up to anyone, but instead you're going to try to get the other person to do what you mm-hmm. want them to do. Yeah. You know, this is, um, it shows the powerful influence and the design of relationships mm-hmm. that God has placed in the family and and within the gift of motherhood. Um you know, as I was becoming Catholic, one of the things that I was really I struggled with for quite a while was Mary mm-hmm. and the elevation of Mary 
within the, the Catholic faith. And yes. her, role, her role in salvation and bringing Christ mm-hmm. to us. And, um, you know, it, I found it really fascinating also that in Rome Sweet Home, when Scott Hahn and Kimberly Hahn were becoming Catholic, mm-hmm. he really fell in love with Mary. Interesting. And he would pray the rosary all of the time and go, like, he would go walk. And, and Kimberly actually got jealous. <laughs> and they didn't like it and didn't understand it. It took her time. It took her a lot more time mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, so I, you know, knew that there was something particularly profound about Mary's role, but really had a hard time as a, as a Protestant understanding that. And so, um, let me ask you a question. Why do Catholics worship Mary? Mm, is that a trick question? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Catholics do not worship Mary. Right. But we did venerate. you feel like they did before you were Catholic? Because that was Absolutely. what we... Yes, it was um, idolatry. You know, I would mm-hmm. drive by the the houses with the, the cute little Mary statues in the front, the Mary gardens, and um, always like idolatry, like that was idolatry. Mm-hmm. And um, to recognize that it's not, it's just bringing Mary to memory, mm-hmm. reminding us to ask for her intercession, to pray for us, to intercede for us, um, and that there's a really deep love for the mother of our Lord. You say that, Deb, but then why do Catholics call Mary Mother of God? Because she is. <laughs> <laughs> so she was before all time, so she had gave birth to God? In the flesh. Not before all time, no. But God used her to bring Christ right. into the world in both his divinity and humanity. So you're saying if Jesus really is the Son of God, if Jesus really is the third person of the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. then Mary cannot be other than the mother of God. Exactly. Cool. And I always get a little nervous talking about the Trinity. <laughs> right. <laughs> because it's so complicated. Right. Um, you know, Mary being the spouse of the Holy Spirit, but also having Joseph as her, you know, as her earthly earthly spouse and Joseph as the um the foster father of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of theological intricacies that are very important that I don't want to mishandle. Yeah, I'm with you. But it certainly is true that Mary was the mother of Jesus, you know, and so that mm-hmm. all of his mitochondrial DNA mm-hmm. came from Mary. In yes. fact, let me rephrase that. All of the mitochondrial DNA comes from Mary. All of Jesus's mitochondrial mm-hmm. DNA comes from Mary which mm-hmm. is like a wild concept right mm-hmm. you also think of the great privilege of feeding Jesus mm-hmm. right the son of God mm-hmm. wow all throughout that pregnancy but also all the way up I suspect that she was cooking for him you know mm-hmm. up until the very end up to the last supper yes mm-hmm. so her with her hands right it was her hands mm-hmm. that made that bread Mm-hmm. That uh, probably doesn't say. I don't know that for 100%, but mm-hmm. I don't see why not either. Mm-hmm. She was cooking bread for them at the Last Supper. It is likely. 
So she's yeah. in no sense God, but yet God used her to bring mm-hmm. forth, you know, the, the mighty remedy, the cure for all the world's evils in Jesus. Well, and in her, in her yes, in her fiat, her willingness mm-hmm. to, to answer the call of God, she began the reversal of Eve's yes to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And so in that, it's an incredibly powerful role in salvation history. Yeah, that's really cool. So, um, yeah, I, I just am so grateful for her, for her love and intercession. Um, the Sometimes in talking to clients who have a devotion to Mary, mm-hmm. um, I find that they receive a lot of comfort in, in thinking of her kind of, Embracing them in her mantle hmm. and covering and protecting them mm-hmm. with her love, just like a like a mother hen, or you know, um, yeah, just that. Uh, when my kids were little, um, they loved a warm towel after their bath, mm-hmm. and so you know the towels would go in the dryer. And they would come out really, really hot, and then they'd, you know, get out of the bathtub very quickly and get wrapped up in these, like, really toasty warm towels. Yep. And it was, like, the best thing ever, you know? So well, actually, it is. Thanks for noticing this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so that comfort and that warmth, that love of a mother that mm-hmm. Mary, as our spiritual mother, offers. Um, can also be part of the healing process for those who have mother wounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So how do you experience this motherhood of Mary? Uh, I was talking to a friend recently who um, was at a cathedral in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, was talking about how it was really cool because all of the stained glass was blue. Huh. And so I was trying to picture this, like, this vast cathedral and, like, the blue, like, every light that came through would be blue because of the all of the glass was blue. So in my, in my mind's eye, I was thinking that's what it would feel like to be covered by Mary's mantle. You know, and I, I love think that the, church is, is, the church is Notre Dame in Montreal, if I recall okay. correctly. And don't quote me on that. But um, just that that sense of what does it feel like? Even if we haven't had a mother's love, we know in, in some way we're missing something. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's something that's a spiritual sense. Yeah. So it's not necessarily felt physically, mm-hmm. but the spiritual effect has a physical effect. Right. And it's uh, also true that if you are doing something psychological or spiritual, you can enhance that with the physical side. In other words, you can hug yourself, right? If you mm-hmm. really feel like you need to feel that uh, mother's love from mm-hmm. Mary, then you can put your arms around yourself. You know, you can mm-hmm. pat yourself. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing to do to help you um, really experience that. Yeah. But I was going to ask you another question. Were you about to say something, Deb? 
No, no, I was going to say that. I love the, I love the hug, um, the self-hug. It's not yeah. the same as a friend hug. Nope. You know, uh, or, uh, you know, it's not the same as, as somebody else coming around. Um, but it's still, there's that, there's something about it that's like a close comfort. Mm-hmm. That gives the the illusion of that. That it, I, it would be interesting to see if it still creates the same chemical re- reaction that a hug does. Yeah. You know that. I do not know if there's been anything done on that, but that is a good question. Hmm. I'll make a note of that. And I would say, yeah, you do that. I would say that as we are adopted kids, right? Mm-hmm. We're adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus. And Mary is our adopted mother, and we get mm-hmm. to have the same thing that Jesus had and has from her as a mother. Mm-hmm. The affection and the care, you know, you have mm-hmm. someone looking out for you. I love that part in um, the uh, movie by Mel Gibson. What the was passion. that one? The Passion of the Christ, mm-hmm. yeah. And they did some imagined scenes from his childhood, right? And he's running and falls down and scrapes his knee. Mary comes and scoops him up, comfort, comforts him, right? Mm-hmm. Classic, you know, a, a role of a mother in our childhood. But there she is as well, you know, at his his moment of greatest suffering during mm-hmm. his actual passion, you know, the suffering that he went through mm-hmm. on the way yeah. to um, to redeeming us. Mm-hmm. And she's doing the same job there, right? She's helping him mm-hmm. by... Um, by being there, you know, the suffering that's involved in being there and, and comforting mm-hmm. him to the extent that she can. So the Via Dolorosa. As well. Sorry, go ahead, yeah. Sorry. That Via Dolorosa the Christ was on. Mm-hmm. She met him right there in that space. Right. And she does the same for us. And if you think about, you know, the the um, mother of mercy, our life, our sweetness, our hope, to thee mm-hmm. do we pray. You know, there's yeah. that sense of, there's that sense of deep suffering in those in those prayers that recognizes the suffering of our hearts, but mm-hmm. also that we can go to her for consolation and comfort. Yeah. And that like she was for Christ, she is even she's wanting to point us to him. Mm-hmm. You know, to point us to him, to bring us to him, to you know, to see us ultimately in heaven with him experiencing the beatific vision for eternity. Yeah. Uh, Mary was a big obstacle for me, you know, when I converted to the church as well. And just like the rosary, you know, like, oh, how can you guys pray to some merely human person like over mm-hmm. and over again? But the funny thing is that the many times that I've prayed the rosary since then, uh, mm-hmm. I I try to think of her sometimes, but inevitably my thoughts are directed towards Jesus. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it is like she really points you right mm-hmm. at her. even during the Rosary, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really it's asking her to pray for us, but it's praying with her too. You know, I don't right. think there's any greater prayer warrior than than Mother Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think some of my my greatest encounters with Christ have actually been praying the Rosary. Cool. And really, like entering into the sorrowful mysteries, mm-hmm. and you know, really trying to be present with him in those moments of great suffering, or the joyful mysteries, you know, mm-hmm. celebrating the birth, 
Um, yeah, they've really helped me to be more mindful of those those pivotal points in the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. What are we going to wrap up with, Fred? You have some cool statistics. Did you want to bring those up? Yes. Maybe a few of them. If you continue with your good behavior. So anyway, I uh, pulled these statistics offline. It's from the Pew Research Center. And the first one is the age of first-time moms. <laughs> the um, <laughs> the age of the average age for your first birth is going mm-hmm. up all the time. Um, and I know that you have not got tons of statistics at your fingertips, Deb. But why would you say, off the top of your head, why is this happening? All first-time mothers, 27, used to be quite a bit younger than that. And when you say used to be, what year are you looking at? I'm not looking at a year here. I'm okay. just remembering, right? But I do yeah. I do know that it did used to be like quite young. People used to get married when they were like 21. Mm-hmm. And their first kid comes along when they're 23. Mm-hmm. Now it's 27. So I was 22. Women, average first age was 31. How old were you? I was 22. So you were like more in that traditional mode, right? Mm-hmm. But I grew up in a very much traditional Baptist circle. So, so why is the average age of first birth going up like that? Is it... The likelihood is because people are getting married much later. And why are people putting off marriage? What's that about? Oh, goodness. That's a whole other episode, and we have like five minutes left. <laughs> Career? Or is it also yeah, just a, There are a lot of reasons. I think it's, um, you know, education, higher education pushes it off. Mm-hmm. You know, typically like the the thought is go to college, get a degree, get a job, and then get married. Mm-hmm. You know, um, often it's go to college, get your master's, get your doctorate, get a job, and then get married. But then you still have to work for a few more years even with the doctorate in order to be able to make a decent living. I think people are afraid of of not having enough money as well. And I think that's one of the main things that I I would like to dispel. Of course, it's easier to raise kids when you have a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. But your fertility declines drastically after 30. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people get pregnant after 30. But a lot of people can't either. And I don't think you understand. And that's a real heartache. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You don't understand the heartache of that, mm-hmm. of wishing to have kids and not being able to do it. So if mm-hmm. you have a chance, get married. Get married before you have kids, right? And in addition to that, don't shack up. Why not, that Deb? Prolong, well, it prolongs marriage. It doesn't guarantee marriage. Right. Um, it's not practice for marriage either because it's not marriage. Mm-hmm. There's no commitment. Um, and then the likelihood, of course, is that any kind of sexual intimacy is going to be contraceptive and not open to life. Um, Which also changes the whole women, thing, doesn't it? What's that? I'm sorry? Changes the whole thing. It does. It really, and really does. Mm-hmm. One of the other factors, too, is that it doesn't, generally speaking, shacking up doesn't work out well for women. Because women usually shack up because they're hoping to get to marriage, which sometimes yeah. works and sometimes doesn't. 
when it does. Okay. But it does it decreases the likelihood that the marriage will last statistically. Right. And um when it doesn't work out that it leads to marriage, it leaves the woman older and I'm gonna use a terrible word, but less marketable. Because right. she's you know, not as as young and mm-hmm. maybe necessarily as attractive or as fertile. And she also has relational history and baggage. Right. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thanks, Deb, for that final thought that you will not be allowed to express. Ah. (laughs) But we're running out of time, so I just want to thank all of you for tuning in to the Four Persons um, podcast and especially to the Tangle Mess with Deb Rojas, counselor extraordinaire. How do people get hold of you, Deb? Well, you can look us up on uh, integritycounselingpa.org or 610-601-9781. How do they get a hold of you, Fred? Get a hold of me by going on to stbarn.org. That's S-T-B-A-R-N.org. And you can um, hit the contact button there and send me a message or ask for an appointment with St. Barn, whether that's for counseling, mediation, or um, coaching. Yeah, also um, inquiries of faith. And yes, so if you want to talk about the faith, that's why we're here, to encourage mm-hmm. reconciliation between uh, people and people, family members and family members, all denominations and between all people and God. So this um, beautiful podcast that you have just enjoyed is a co-production of the Four Persons Podcast and blog and also stbarn.org. And it occurs every Tuesday at the same time, 7 Eastern, 6 Central. Um, Also come and listen to us on Thursday when we have a show called Uncounseling, which is a critical look at counseling and therapy from a Catholic point of view. Some say it's the best show show on the podcast (laughs) world right now, in the podcast world, whatever. Anyway, thanks for joining us. um, Thank Thank you. Thanks for joining us at the Tangled Mess and uh, on the Four Persons Network. Would you like to uh, offer a prayer for us, Deb? Yes, especially for mothers. Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for mothers and the gift of life that they are mothers, the gift of life they've given us, um, and that has continued throughout our lives. Um, We pray especially for those who are celebrating Mother's Day, that um, those who celebrate with joy would be blessed, and those who celebrate with pain would also be blessed, and that they would find redemption in their suffering and hope. Um, We thank you for Mary and her motherly love that draws us to Christ and continues to point us to heaven. And so we um, especially pray for Mary, Mother, and doer of not to pray for us. Pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Deb. I will see you next time. All right. Good night, all.